Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Rafael Nasser from Craft Pita coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. He is a Houston hospitality veteran and a co-founder of the Houston Barbecue Festival. Michael Fulmer, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm outstanding. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, seven, a new restaurant is going to bring Vibe Dining to Kirby. I describe Vibe Dining as restaurants like Bisu that have nightclub elements like DJs and bottle service. Seven touts itself as serving Asian-inspired French Mediterranean food and takes its inspiration from Miami restaurants like Baoli and Sexy Fish. Michael, let me throw it to you. I mean, what do you make of this vibe dining trend? You know, BC's not alone in this. There's Kiss, there's Juliet, there's a few others that are, uh, you know, Taste Bar and Kitchen has has some of that atmosphere. What do you what do you make of the vibe dining trend? Well, first of all, I mean, there is clearly a market for it. I mean, Houston's not exactly what I would call like celebrity culture which is what this is, you know, they're, they're kind of promoting in a sense, but it's definitely like the beautiful people place where, you know, the food itself and the quality of the food is definitely taking a backseat to environment. People want to, you know, there's people who want to dress up. There's really good looking people. There's really good looking people with money who want to be seen. And, you know, this is exactly the kind of environment for them. They have disposable income. So why not build something to take their money from them? Well, and there's there's average looking people that also have a lot of money and want to be in the presence of really good looking people. So it's kind of a way for them to to get together. Sure. I mean, voyeurism and the remora kind of like lifestyle, whatever, however you want to, you know, like put a label on it. Uh, This kind of thing has been done, been doing quite well in Miami, in Vegas and certainly in L.A., where there seems to be an endless supply of just unstoppably good looking people and the people willing to spend money either on them with them, you know, or take their money from them and the Instagram culture and the social media explosion that has, you know, helped fuel these kind of environments and these kind of, uh, if you will, sub economies, uh, you know, is definitely related. And so why not have one in Houston? It's if they want to do it, you know, have at it. We'll see. We'll see. I, I mean, I, I think that's I think that's correct, and I think that's all well said. Usually, these kind of restaurants they get the vibe just right, and the food, the the dining aspect can be a little bit hit or miss. I mean, I I met with a couple of the partners. They're saying all the right things. You know, they they found a guy in Miami who's worked at at some of these restaurants. He worked for Jose Andres a long time ago. You know, he's got an impressive resume. He certainly understands the vision of what they're trying to achieve and, and presumably will execute it at, at a level of quality. You know, I, I'm, I'm sort of with you, right? I'm not, you know, the, the, when I was speaking with, with one of the partners, he said, it's not a boring restaurant. And I said, I, I actually like boring restaurants, right? Boring restaurants are where I do most of my socializing, but I also recognize that there's a place in the market for something, for something else, something a little more lively, something with, a little more flair to it. And so I do think that that they've sort of studied this. They're, they're investing a ton of money uh, to build this space out at the Kirby Collection. 
And of course, you know, I, I did get a chuckle about the location because before it was the Kirby collection mixed use development, it was the site of that, that property was the site of Roke, which was one of those, you know, CNBC really lively bars uh, that occupied a former funeral home. And so in some ways it feels like the property is kind of coming full circle, right. From, from having these, from having these, from, you know, there it's not, it's not the funeral bars revived necessarily, but it is that, that really lively, that really CNBC atmosphere coming back to upper Kirby. And, you know, the, the one other thought is, you know, these, this trend a little bit in River Oaks district, you know, a little bit in Midtown, a little bit on Washington Avenue, but it really hasn't come to, to upper Kirby River Oaks, however you want to describe that. And so, you know, I, I do think there's a lot of potential there. Yeah. I, I mean, to, ha- to have like champagne going through the restaurant, you know, with the, you know, the, the flares coming out of it, you know, the lit Dom Perignon, the whole nine yards. And if the food happens to be good, it's almost like that's like this kind of bonus, you know, um, if things go well for them, I mean, they'll make a ton of money because of course, most of that profit will come through, you know, alcohol that's marked up anywhere from a hundred percent to 400%. Um, and that will just take care of it in its own right. I mean, clubs have always been kind of notorious for, you know, you get your money, you get in, you get out because it's not like you're going to be there for 10 years. That's not the, the point. Right. You make your money back in six months or a year. And then anything, anything after that is just good luck, basically. Yeah. I mean, I've been to some of these places in South Beach and I guess what's at the Burkell section of Miami, you know, and you, you know, just, you see it in, in, like I said, in LA and Vegas and it's not for me, but that doesn't matter. Um, I, I wish them well. Like, we'll see what happens. Uh, it's interesting because, like I said, we don't have, quote unquote, a celebrity culture here. The celebrity, if you will, it goes to, you know, who's kind of young, rich and good looking. And we don't have a shortage of that, to be sure. So, you know, let's have a place for the people who want that. You know, they're not hurting anybody else. Have at it. Have fun. And, you know, we'll just enjoy the in your Instagram feed. I mean, that's my viewpoint, you know, as, as a. Like I'm like you, I'm, I'm, I want a more quiet, relaxed, I'm looking for the food and, and that kind of environment, but that's, but they're not making it for me and that's fine. Right. That's the thing that I was so surprised, right? I posted this on uh, one of the Facebook foodie groups and, and just, oh, the negativity was, was relentless, right? Nobody, nobody can live and let live anymore. Ah, right? get they, off if my they, yeah. <laughs> right. Like if, if, if I don't like this, I hope it closes in six months. Like, Look, if you don't like it, you don't have to go. I'm not exactly. This isn't, this isn't old school. We're not going to drive around in the white van and throw you in the back of it and kidnap you. This isn't, <laughs> you know, that's just not that's not the agenda. No, so, I'm not looking to take anyone's kidney or anything like that. But right, you know, it, like I said, it's it's not for me. But like I said, if they can if they can make it work, fantastic. I mean, I think how invested restaurants are, you know. You know, when somebody comes into it, like a Houston restaurant, like I'm cold, you know, like, well, you should know you're in Houston. We blast air conditioning. That's the way it is. Uh, but we still try to like we still try to tweak everything. The lighting, you know, lighting schemes are so important so that people can still see their menu. Like they hopefully they don't have to pull out a phone to look at the menu. But at the same time, can't be oppressive. There's all these things just to make it as comfortable and relaxing as possible. So you have this experience, whereas this is kind of like almost a complete dichotomy of that it's like it's right. let's this be is loud. the opposite this is the opposite of that they're going to create the environment right it's loud and bright and moving and if you don't like it go somewhere else 
Right. And I'm like, well, then have at it. Like, if you're going to do it, you know, like, yeah, pull the trigger, go all in, you know, have at it. Uh, um, I'm excited for them. But, uh, you know, that, that's as far as my involvement probably goes with it. Oh, you know, you're you're uh, you and I are in the same boat, right? We're we're skeptical. But but at the same time, if, if there's the right person that says, oh, I really want to go there, uh, you know, we're we're in in, in a heartbeat. Yeah, I mean, I got excited when I was in the Charlotte airport and they had rocking chairs, you know, so that's the vibe. <laughs> you know, that's the vibe I'm coming from. So, you know, that's where so that's not for me. But like I said, I wish them all the success in the world and like I'll enjoy their social media feed, you know, occasionally. And that's that that's and that's fine. All right. Let's move on to topic number two. Beller Broiler Burger, the well beloved burger joint had a comeback earlier this spring as a food truck while they were renovating the original building that comeback has ended because they decided they got an offer they couldn't refuse and they sold the building so no more beller broiler burger at least for now you know i talked to jason scheinthal who's who was operating the restaurant and whose family bought the property and and then ultimately made the decision to sell it he's He's still, you know, he has very fond childhood memories of, of eating at Bell or Broiler Burger, and, and he's really committed to to finding a new location and bringing it back. But but let me just, you know, and obviously, you know, that's that's his decision to make, and it's his business and all that. But let me just ask you, I mean, does it, to you, does it make sense to revive this restaurant in a new location? Because honestly, I got to tell you, if, if I can't have the, if I can't have the same building, I'm not sure I want to, like... Maybe just start a whole new burger restaurant is is my thought. Yeah, I, I have to concur with you on that. Just start a whole new one. I mean, we've talked, you know, we we've talked endlessly about burgers, and we will continue to. And you can, you know, even people who say I don't really have an opinion on food, if you bring up burgers, you can get them to talk for a good five to seven minutes, no problem, because everyone's got an opinion about one. And this was just a local place that had that kind of nostalgic charm to it. It wasn't particularly good. It certainly wasn't bad. Um, for me, it was tied to, I used to go bowling over, a, you know, Bel Air lanes. And then we would go to, you know, me and my buddy would go to Bel Air broiler burger afterwards and have a burger. Uh, and it was, that was just like this kind of quality unfussy, you know, experience. Well, you know, the Bel Air lanes now is just turned into something way more extravagant. Bel Air broiler closed and then reopened. And I got to say, I talked to a few people who went back to it. They weren't too pleased with A, the food and B, the prices. Uh, so I think it's time has come and gone. So, if, you know, if you're going to go, if you're going to do it somewhere else, then just start a whole new, just start a whole new line of what you're doing. Because people generally don't travel for burgers because we all have good burgers in our neighborhood. You and I will, of course, but, you know, that's it. It's not like barbecue where they're like, hey, I'll I'll drive for, you know, hours or 45 minutes and wait for a burger. Uh-uh. Right. No, I. So I, I think all of that is 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 spot on. Right. For example, you and I will drive functionally an hour to go to Tejas Chocolates for their barbecue and their chocolate. Uh, as far as I I mean, I've been exactly once. I don't know if you've been at all to Tejas Burger They're you know, same ownership. Right. Very delicious burgers, but like just not you know, just not like presumably worth driving an hour for. So, you know, that's, that's just kind of the perspective. And I, you know, I think the, 
you identified kind of the, the problem with reviving a restaurant brand like that is people are going to, you know, uh, it doesn't taste like it used to. It's more expensive. It's not, you know, I, I say don't play that game, right? Like if, if you want to be in the burger business, get in the burger business, start a new brand because because you're never going to live up to people's nostalgia from, you know, when they were in high school or college or whatever. And, and I say, you know, just get out of that, get out of that whole thing. Yeah, I, I think if it had been uninterrupted, that could be a thing, but it was. And you make a good point is that people do compare that experience. I did, by chance, I did drive up to Tejas Burger. It was my second or third meal after the initial shutdown of COVID. And I actually went up there with our fellow podcaster, Matt Harris, and had a wonderful meal, which they, you know, they pre they packaged all the sides and everything. It was just, it, we were going up there to really to support, you know, it's like, Hey, you're one of the restaurants, all the restaurants were, you know, were suffering right at the beginning of the shutdown. And that was like one of the first places we chose. We're like, Hey, let's, they deserve our money. Let's go up there and give it to them. Fair enough. All right. Uh, I'm going to move on to topic number three. March continues to rack up national acclaim. The, Mediterranean-inspired fine dining tasting menu restaurant has been named to Bon Appetit's list of best new restaurants in the country. It is one of seven Texas restaurants to be so recognized. Michael, I don't know. Did you have a chance to look at the Bon Appetit list? What do you what do you think about March uh, being included? I haven't seen the whole list. I you know I saw what was listed in in Houston. I mean that's that's actually a list that that means something. You know their editors. And their food writers do their due diligence. They really travel. They have good palates. Uh, you know, they're not kind of stuck in the past. You know, I think it, it's it's a worthy one, and that that that's a significant accolade. Uh, you know, March has that. You know, they're still new, and it's one of the really few places that you and I have talked about this before, being really true fine dining. You know, and that's something that Houstonians tend to not really. You know, there's a real limit to how fancy and fussy you can get in this town which is why you know i I, i'm always dubious that we'll ever see something like a late bernadette or a providence you know or or a canlis or something like that because the whole move to like people don't really want you know they don't want to have to dress up plus on top of that you got four months out of the year where it's impossibly hot so even if you do dress up you know unless you have a linen suit or something like that you know it's it's problematic in its own right uh, but they really, uh, you know, the owners are clearly committed to not just the environment, you know, and how beautiful the place is, how beautifully functional it is, and the incredible service, but they're very committed to the food there, too. I mean, the whole, you know, the whole good night hospitality is a very, uh, a, you know, a significant force to be reckoned with. They are not, these are not dilettantes in the least. Uh, I just ate at Rosie Cannonball just the other day, and had yet another really just high, high quality experience there, the food and, and the service is always really spot on. So for March to be on that, I think is well-deserved and um, it, it's yet another, you know, rung for them, especially coming right off the heels of food and wine, uh, the piece they had in food and wine, which I, I don't know if there's veracity to this, but I was told it's actually the longest piece that's ever been done on a restaurant, uh, several pages. Uh, like it's certainly in recent memory and it was really a really a nicely well-written one just on not just on the restaurant but on the company and the personnel so 
you know, seeing what Philippe, seeing what June does there. I mean, they're really, they're really committed to it. They're like they're, they're passionate people and they're very competent people, you know, something more than competent. That almost sounds like a bare minimum. They're like they're, they're very talented. Uh, right. well, and so right. they're, they're, they're very passionate and, and, you know, focused, right. Like the, you know, like very disciplined in, in their approach to, you know, not just, you know, because a lot of these restaurants, it's a set menu, right? Like the, you know, especially in a fine dining kind of context, the menu doesn't change very often. You know, that's not what's happening at March, you know, twice a year, the whole menu turns over and they're adjusting individual courses over the course of the season to reflect the produce, you know, because they do have access to good time farm, which is owned by, Peter and Bailey McCarthy, who are the two are the partners in good to, in good night hospitality. And so, you know, it's, it's not exactly vertical integration, but, but there's a strong connection there. And so that, that gives them some ability to, to be playful in, in what they do. And, and it's just kind of this interesting dichotomy because, you know, we like you and I, as people who live here, you know, our, our priority is like, you know, oh, a restaurant where we can go, you know, once a month or, or maybe even, you know, once a quarter or whatever. And, and March doesn't really fit that for us, right? Like March is more like a, a once a year or, or maybe twice a year, right? Once to try each menu, kind of a splurge. But it is such a curated experience, right? It, it starts in the lounge with cocktails. You know, it continues in the dining room. You know, there's bespoke art. There's high-end furnishings, high-end plateware. It's just, it's, it's such a comprehensive experience. And of course, when these national writers come through, like there's nothing else like it in Houston and it really stands out. Absolutely. I, I you know, I, I have to agree with everything you say there. Uh, and it's not an inexpensive experience either, you know, with a nine course, you know, I think it's at 250, 245, you throw in, pairings at a hundred or, you know, premier, premier pairings, I think 195. I mean, when you get done with tipping everything, you're, you're looking for two people to go there. This is not a minor proposition, you know, uh, this is something very significant. So they got to live up to what that is. Uh, uh, and I know they're, they're doing best to do that. It's, it, you know, it's also kind of exciting at the same time, you know, problematic, the changing of the menu, because then you have to really, the people have to really believe in who you are and what you do. And I think they're really getting there. I think they're, they're starting to really get there. Uh, I, you know, I worked at a high end place where we changed the menus constantly and that became actually an issue because we changed it too, too often. You know, people do become enamored and they develop relationships with specific dishes, you know, where in some cases where chefs can't even take it off the menu because they get such a clamoring for it. If it comes off, I mean, and that's a beautiful thing to get that kind of, uh, you know, foothold into a community. Uh, and so what they're doing is changing that. And they're obviously committed to it by, you know, the, hey, we're going to close for a while and, and we're going to really R&D this, which to a great extent I think is necessary because it's just too much of a burden on staff front and back of the house, but particularly back of the house to to really to turn over a menu that quickly, that extensively, uh, you know, that often. So we'll see. Yeah, and then just, just very briefly, I, since you're my, my go-to for all things barbecue, I wondered if you knew anything about Reese Brothers, this place in San Antonio that's also on the list. Yeah, so they, the Reese Brothers, 
they're not doing, you know, your, your, they do your straight Trinity barbecue. I haven't been there. My business partner and friend, Chris Reed, the barbecue columnist has, and he had good things to say about it. I talked to Daniel Vaughn. He did also, you know, surprisingly the, you know, San Antonio, we've seen this incredible influx in the Houston cities in, in Austin, first and foremost in Houston, of course, we're just like, still on this incredible wave also in dallas in the dfw area but san antonio has been somewhat static you don't really see a lot of i haven't seen a lot of this kind of dynamic growth there i guess and the thing about their barbecue scene is surprisingly haven't seen a lot of that either um you know uh and so i think they're they're making a hit because one they're you know it's kind of like they've become a big fish in a small pond um but what they're doing is they're executing at a high level too. So they're they're hitting that trinity really strongly, and they're doing some experimenting out, outside of that. Uh, so I, I'm glad to see that for the city. I'm always glad to see that for Houston, and of course I'm glad to see it for the barbecue community because I will support and promote that no matter where it is, whether it's here or somewhere else in this country or elsewhere. All right. I am going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. This podcast is brought to you by Green Street. Located in the heart of downtown Houston, Green Street celebrates delicious cuisine, exciting entertainment, and live music, all in a vibrant urban setting. Green Street is the perfect spot for a dinner and drinks before or after a big game downtown. Grab a bite al fresco from on-site restaurants such as Guadalajara del Centro, The Palm, House of Blues, or M&S Seafood Steaks and Oysters. Now, I'll have to say, I had the opportunity to visit The Palm, which relocated to downtown last year. It's an exciting update to just a classic Houston steakhouse, still with the prime steak, still with the giant lobsters, but in a refreshed and updated atmosphere. If you're not coming for dinner or after dinner, Enjoy a drink and live entertainment from Pete's Dueling Piano Bar, or grab your friends and head to 810 Billiards and Bowling for a night of fun. Whatever the occasion, make Green Street your downtown destination of choice. Located at 1201 Fannin Street, go to greenstreetdowntown.com to see a full list of bars, restaurants, and entertainment destinations. That's greenstreetdowntown.com. Michael, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about Il Bracco. This is the new Italian restaurant from Dallas. It just opened at the corner of San Felipe and Post Oak. I talked about this on the show with Mary Clarkson a couple weeks ago, but uh, frankly, I'm a little bit obsessed with this place. I've been there three or four times already. And so I wanted to talk about it just a little bit more. And and also, you know, you and I are fans of, of Houston's. I refuse to call it. Hillstone, but but the owners of Il Bracco worked for the Hillstone Restaurant Group uh, for a number of years. And, and so, you know, just as uh, someone I know who's been to Il Bracco a couple of times and, and who's a fan of Houston's and its affiliated restaurants, what do you think? You know, it's fantastic. You know, it's, sometimes when you when you see something that that executes well, uh, you know, and has that look and that feel, you think, well, this was it was like a foregone conclusion that this place will be successful. And, and obviously it's still too early to, 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 to give it that label, but 
every time I've been there, it's been pretty full. And the last time I went, which was on a what Labor Day and a holiday, they still looked like they were getting pretty full. Um, you know, they clearly have put in the efforts. You know, they've been very particular about uh, all the fixtures, about the look, the people they've hired, uh, their training for the front of the house staff. I mean, all those things they've done all this prep to set themselves up for success. And then when you taste the food, you could see that the food has been really R and D to like, like they didn't really nothing. I've had nothing there that tasted phoned in, you know, like carrots as a side to one of the dishes. There was just like, it was like kind of this perfect balance of getting that sugar from the, the carrot properly salted, but neither too salty or sickly sweet, which you find so often with carrots it was just like delicious. And that was kind of like a microcosm of what that place is, is that it's just delicious and comfortable, you know? I agree. I mean, I, I think the quality of the ingredients is, is really good. You know, we had that uh, tomato burrata salad, which, you know, obviously that dishes like that are everywhere, but the, you know, the quality of the heirloom tomatoes was really, really first rate. We had a steak, right? The New York strip that was, prime properly medium rare served with that great salsa verde you know the pastas are al dente the the sauces are good they're doing that uh spicy rigatoni kind of their uh their take on the penne vodka that's the the carbone signature and everything is just like the attention to detail is high the, the consistency has been good uh across a few visits and and you know honestly like this is just kind of pure comfort food for me like this is the kind of stuff i really like left to my own devices, if I if I didn't have this this crazy job, like I, I'd probably eat here like a couple times a month because it just it suits the kind of food I like to eat really well. Yeah, I think we I remember we talked about I remember when it first came out there, and I'm like, wow, they're right across the street from North Italia, which just crushes it. And you know what? After eating at El Bracco, I'm like, there's gonna be more than enough room for both of them. Yeah, because this hits all the marks, you know, like you said. Like the one issue I had the first time I went was the Caesar was, you know, horribly overdressed. And when I came this time, it wasn't, you know, it's like, wow, okay, they got it right. The focaccia, which, you know, is a very simple dish and actually can go wrong many different ways. And it's been with the fantastic, the meatballs are freaking better than the ones I make, which is annoying. Uh, They're so good. They're just so good. And the marinara is just so well balanced, not too much acid, not too much sweetness to it. Uh, I had a roasted chicken there, which they've deboned, so they've made it much, for the most part, you know, make it very much easier to eat. Uh, the Italian beef is more like, like, uh, like we've talked about, the is more like a French dip, but I don't care; it's delicious. Right. The Italian, the Italian beef is basically their version of a Hillstones French <laughs> yeah. dip with Giardina on it instead of uh, instead of horseradish sauce. Like, right, I, right. It's right. Like that's not traditional or authentic or you know that you know it wouldn't it wouldn't fly on the set of the bear but it suits me just fine right and then things like the the crudo uh you know the the pesto crust they're using aura king salmon you know which is extremely high quality is not inexpensive but you know has become the go-to not just in terms of its quality but also it's it's renowned you know with all the blowback that uh, you know atlantic salmon farm salmon from atlantic has gotten on being you know, which is changing, fortunately, because of that. But it's so much cheaper. But it's like it's in some cases not even good for you. But they're using they're even saying, nope, we're going to use this really super high quality that we can get all year round. Or King is actually farmed salmon out of Australia and that region of uh, near New Zealand. 
but it's absolutely fantastic and I love it. And to see them, you know, and they put it on the menu, like, Hey, this is what we got. Cause they're, that is a brand that's, you know, it's not unlike, like copper or salmon is not a breed. It's a, it's a brand, but it's so well known and so well respected that, you know, that's what it gives you. And, uh, so they're, they're saying, you know, like, we're not going to cut any corners. We're going to give you really high quality, which at its very base is what Italian food is all about. It's not about 12 ingredients on your plate. It's about a few ingredients, but really high, the really high quality and executed very well. And I think that's what they give us, you know, they're, and the, it's, it's priced reflectively. Like, is it an inexpensive, inexpensive experience to go there? No, I wouldn't go there for lunch necessarily every day, but I can go there on a fairly regular basis and not break the bank and feel like I get a value each time. And when our dining companion, you know, uh, got the strip, you know, okay, let's see what that's about. And you're right. It was like, it was perfectly cooked. It had that great char on it. The sides were were great. You know, I've yet to really be disappointed by anything you know, there. And that's, uh, that's saying a lot. Right. And just to finish it, you know, I mean, you know, we had, you know, the last time we were there with our friend, we had, we had four desserts. We were three people and we had three different favorites, right? Cause I like chocolate tart. You were all about the lemon and, and he really liked the panna cotta with the blueberry. So again, like I like a menu where there's plenty where, where like, I want to order most of it. Everything is consistently well executed. I think you're right. I mean, it's not, it's not an inexpensive restaurant, but it's, it's consistent with other restaurants in the category. And, you know, I, I think about, you know, Grotto that's basically down the street from there. And it's like, it's a absolute no brainer for me you know, that between, between the two of those and, and, you know, yeah, we have our favorites. Giacomo certainly comes to mind, but sometimes I just want an order of like classic meatballs and red sauce followed by uh chicken piccata. And I want it done well. And I want it, you know, in a nice, in a nice environment. And this, yeah, yeah. This I don't want fits all that. This, time, you right, know? this, this, this suits me just fine. Yeah, exactly. I agree. All right, Michael, I'm going to say that does it for our, restaurant of the week thank you very much my pleasure sir thanks for having me and i'll be right back with rafael nasser i'm joined this week by the owner of craft pita now open in briar grove coming soon to west u rafael nasser Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, Eric. How are you, man? I'm doing good. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. It's been a couple of years since you were last on the show. And I remember when I had you on, it was because I thought you had adapted particularly well to COVID, the early, early COVID dining, shall we say, yeah. right? You, you set up a you set up a really efficient to-go system. You you put up a tent in your parking lot to give people more outdoor seating, you know, you, you did, you did all of these things. Obviously you, you don't have to do any of that anymore. Thank you. Um, but what's it been like kind of for you as the last, you know, as your business has matured a little bit, you're not, you're not a new restaurant anymore. You're an established part of your neighborhood. Yeah. I mean, I think we're definitely in a different phase of our business post COVID. Um, but there are definitely still some lingering effects of what happened over the last few years. Um, you know, food prices are still up, the labor market's still a little tight, and it's definitely more expensive than it used to be. Um, but things are going really well. Thankfully, I think we uh 
I think finally this summer we've, we really hit our stride. And I also think the city opening up and uh, Houstonians going back to the office, particularly for us in the gallery area has definitely been a great thing for our business. Um, because unlike most businesses, we are, we are a Monday through Friday lunch business. And uh, thankfully we're, uh, we're clicking on all cylinders. Our, our catering's starting to be a lot more robust than it used to be. Um, it's definitely been a big change. We, we did everything we needed to do to your point to adapt during COVID. Um, but I would much rather operate with normal dine-in service like we are right now. It's, it's, it's really nice to see everyone's face again and, and enjoy, you know, uh, touching tables in the dining room and things like that. So I guess having sort of established that the things are going well, let's talk about this new location. You know, you're, you're coming up on the opening, I guess probably in the next month or so. How did you sort of decide that the time was right to expand and, and how did you, how did you pick West U? You know, we, um, we all, to your point, I think the first article you ever wrote about us was that we developed this concept to be scalable. Um, and we basically are going to be opening up our second location about three years and a couple of months after opening the first, um, we decided it was the right time because uh, basically the idea was get the first door up on its feet and running. And once that was, we, we felt comfortable that we had the staff and the management to run the store on its own. We, we had been, have been getting a lot of opportunities put our way over the last three years since we opened and uh, you know, fast, in the fast casual sector, we consider ourselves fast, fine, casual. You really, uh, you really start making profit once you have economies of scale on multiple units. So we search the whole city. I mean, Houston from a real estate perspective is very difficult because there's so many opportunities, so many places. And even in a neighborhood, you could be one to two streets off. You think it might be the sweet spot, but you might be in a wrong part of a neighborhood and we ultimately determined that we wanted to, to replicate as much as possible the experience we could provide you in our Briar Grove location. And we also tried to match the neighborhood. Um, you know, lots of families, uh, which are which there are plenty of in West U with people with disposable income. Um, also across the freeway, there are tons of apartments, tons of young single people uh, in the uh, Greenway area. And also in the Greenway area, it's one of the most office dense places in the city as well. So, you know, we really learned during COVID more than anything that your neighborhood is what will keep you afloat. Briar Grove took care of us. Tanglewood took care of us. The gallery area took care of us. And we think West U is, is the next uh, next great spot for craft beat Yeah, I know uh, that location was briefly uh, a second outpost of Kenny and Ziggy's. I know you and Ziggy are friends because you and I have had lunch at Kenny and Ziggy's yeah. and talked to Ziggy. Did you get any advice from Ziggy about that shopping center or that that area when you were, were making this decision? You know, the one thing Ziggy told me is, and I have a little bit of experience with the Westview area. When I was the manager over at Island Grill, we had, they had a phase loss that uh, Bel Air location. Um, well, what Ziggy told me is, is, Westview people, they are loyal. 
they will they will be great customers for you and they will they'll fight for you they'll promote you they'll 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 take care of you but he did say you gotta they they give you one first impression you gotta make a good first impression so i think we're up to the task but that was the advice he gave us yeah you know i i feel like that's the case in the heights too right like a restaurant will either will either open and be gone in six months as the neighborhood decides like nope or or they love it and it sticks around for 10 years and there's not really a lot of in between no and i think that's that's i i do think actually our previous location our current location at Briargrove is the same i just think when you're in a trade area where like people with they have options don't want to leave their neighborhood because they have options they're gonna they're they'll if you make it in the rotation, you're set. Well, and and I think, you know, from your perspective, what, what makes Craft Pita so appealing is it, it's pretty affordable and it's pretty flexible, right? Yeah. It, it, it's healthy, it's convenient, it travels well. So, you know, you can you can get it to go and take it home. And, and it's just, in that sense, I think it's really flexible. Definitely. I think, you know, being the healthy but also flavorful thing, achieves a lot of craveability for us. And, you know, we're not in the business of you dining in our restaurant once a month. We want you coming back once or twice a week. And to your point, very flexible. You can come in, have a light salad one day for lunch, or you can come by later on in the week, get a chicken dinner special for the whole family and just pick it up and take out to go. Or if you just want to come and eat some French fries and ice cream, you don't have to be healthy if you don't want to. So talk to me about kind of the plans for the new restaurant. I mean, how will it be? What will be the same about the the Briar Grove location and, and what will be different? So a few things that will be similar, uh, which is a lot. One, the design. Um, we have the same designer, Alicia Crowley, uh, design our new restaurant. And it's going to be very bright, very vibrant, um, modern, but also has some, you know, touches of, of Lebanese aesthetics and Arabic aesthetics. And uh, a few other things that are going to be similar is, is basically the whole menu for the most part. Uh, you're going to see all your favorite things like chicken pita, all the bowls, rotisserie chicken. Um, we're going to have the same drink program that we do have. And I guess I'll get into the, the new stuff on those notes. Um, we're going to be adding kebabs to our menu. So we're going to be uh, putting chicken kebabs and beef kebabs on our menu. Uh, to be determined on some veggie or fish ones. A few other things we're adding to the menu are, uh, we were originally going to do espresso, but it looks like we're going to be doing a French press program instead. Um, just to, because we serve Turkish coffee, we figure, you know, people want a shot of caffeine. You can get a Turkish coffee, which you can't get at most places. And um, we're going to be expanding our wine offering as well. We currently are only, because of the size of our Braggro location, are only able to carry three Lebanese wines. Uh, but we're looking to maybe carry some other uh, Mediterranean uh, wines on our menu as well. I mean, kebabs seem like such a no-brainer in particular. I'm, I, You know, I feel like this has probably been something your customers have been asking you about. Yeah, you know, kebabs are, I think, first of all, are definitely very popular right now. They're having a little moment um, across the country. and. It's also just for the average person, their exposure level to Mediterranean food. It's typically that and hummus are are one and two on the list. And also the nice thing about kebabs is when you're able to use lean proteins, 
it's a very nice, healthy option. Um, and we're really excited. Uh, I originally was going to have kebabs on the, on the last restaurant's menu, but we have a very small vent hood and we had to make it, we had to make do without it. And, uh, but I think, you know, for example, our, our Akayushi kafta that we currently cook on the flat top. I think when you put that stuff on the grill and has that nice little kiss of the flame, it'll just take it up a few notches for sure. Yeah. And I, I guess talk about maybe some of the other things you're doing to get ready for this. I mean, you know, how are you planning to divide your time between the two locations? Yeah. So, you know, I'm very fortunate to have a really great management team on my side. Um, they really are able to hold it down uh, at the current store. And I think our, our plan of attack is uh, Claudia is going to be holding it down a little bit more at Briar Grove than I will. And I'm going to be spending most of my time at the new store, at least for the, the next few months. And my mother, Claudia, you know, she can, she can work the dining room better than most people. And I'm very confident that it'll still have that, you know, that hospitality level that you expect from, uh, from a craft beat experience at both stores. Um, and the other thing is we, I back on your, your, our, your last question is I'm planning on trying to be there a bit more for dinner at the new restaurant as well. Um, we're really trying to expand the dinner experience at craft Pita. We've rolled out a mezza dinner, which is kind of a course dinner, which you can experience currently at, at Briar Grove, but we're really trying to, uh, expand our dinner experience at the new store as well. Yeah. Maybe, maybe just expand on that a little bit because I think in a fast casual environment, it is kind of tricky to have that, that kind of sit down dinner experience. So, so what are you doing to, to give people a little more service, a little more, a little more of an, of a reason to stick around? Definitely. So our Meza dinner starts off with our Meza sampler, which you get your choice of three spreads of either hummus, spicy hummus, Labne or babaganoush, and you get pickled turnips, tabbouleh, pita chips, pita bread, along with a fatouche salad. And that's kind of the first course, you know, kind of fresh, uh, healthy items. And then you get your choice of proteins, either, uh, either rotisserie chicken, shredded chicken. Uh, you're going to be able to choose your beef kebabs, chicken kebabs, falafel or lentils. And you're also going to get, uh, for dessert, some of our pistachio, sorry, baklava ice cream. And, uh, with that, you're going to get a discount on any wine bottle. So it's kind of to your point, you know, we're, we're well aware we're not a, a white linen restaurant, but, uh, our food can be plated and, and just with a little bit of style of service, you can have a closer to a full service dining experience, uh, with this new menu. Yeah, let me let me shift gears on you a little bit. You know, one of the things that you've, you know, you've kind of embraced being part of the the Houston food community. You've invited, or you've you've worked with Leonard Batello from from Truth Barbecue on a couple of occasional specials. You know, I've seen you helping uh, helping Abbas Danani out with the burger bodega pop ups. What's it kind of been like for you as a young restaurateur to kind of be a part of this community and, and kind of build those relationships. And, and, you know, so you're not just, you're not just on an Island. You're kind of part of something uh, a little larger. You know, it's been, um, it's been an honor to get to, to be a part of this community. It's really cool and special for me because I, 
so I started my cooking career in in the, in Fort Worth, where I owned a food truck for about a year and a half. Graduated, came back here, worked for Island Grill for about a year, and and Verts, and then I went to Austin for three years, and I worked for the Papas uh, Corporation there, and I didn't have a lot of friends uh in the in the in the restaurant uh chef foodie community here in houston and so when i when i moved back i uh it was honestly out of uh what's the right word i i respected all these people i admired them it, it was getting to know them was all out of admiration and uh it's just been so much fun and and you know we love whether it's me my wife or uh my mom, we, we try to go out and, and support all of our friends in the community. And it's just, it's been a blast. It's really been a lot of fun and uh, getting to, to work with someone like Leonard and the talent that he has, it's eating the food is, is half of the pleasure, but getting to learn stuff from him is, is also, is also a lot of fun. And then a boss and I actually had a mutual friend that connected us and we ended up becoming best buds and, it's just, it's been a lot of fun to see him grow and I'm excited for him to open up his brick and mortar as well. And just all of our friends, whether it's our collaboration with the click virtual food hall or the, our ice cream with the dough cone. I mean, we've done so many cool things. It's been a lot of fun. I mean, do you have other collaborations in mind? Is there like a, a dream list of, uh, <laughs> or, or, or let me, let me even put it to you another way. You know, you're working on this dinner experience. You're going to have this new restaurant with a slightly bigger wine list could you could you see yourself doing like guest chef dinners where you you invite other locals to come in and play around with the mediterranean ingredients and maybe do something that's a little less traditional than than what you do now definitely i would love to do some collaborations in the future on a new store with kind of a bit more of a robust kitchen um i think it'll allow for a lot more opportunities I can't name anyone off the bat that I've already had a preconceived conversation with. I'm trying to get the restaurant open first. And, uh, but definitely, definitely plan on doing more collaborations in the future. Um, collaborations are a lot of work and you're also like having to work around other people's schedules. So I try to be very respectful of, of who I, and when I ask someone to do something. Um, but we'll definitely get something planned in the future. Well, and and let me just ask you one other thing, uh, because I'm, you mentioned your mother Claudia, and and I I didn't want to let that go unremarked upon because I you know I get I get to about I, I'm going to say four to six hours with my mother in any given uh, <laughs> moment, and and that's enough, uh, and she'll tell you she'll tell you the same thing. It's time for us to go into our our separate corners. It's why uh, you know we don't live together. So so let me just ask you, kind of, what's it like working with your mother? you know, every day in this business, like when are you her son and when are you like her business partner? And, and how does that, how do you balance that? You know, it's, it's not easy every day and some days are are perfect and some days are not. I would, I think my mom would tell you, I'm the more difficult one to deal with. Uh, my mother's a saint and, uh, and she's an amazing uh, chef. She, a lot of the flavor profiles that we have at Craft Feet are all because of of her honing in on our recipes and uh, and I, you can ask anyone who operates a family business, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of uh, cons because you know how to push each other's buttons, 
But the biggest pro you have in a family business is trust. You don't you don't have to to worry about someone doing their job or sticking to their word. And we've been working together when we uh, when I operated the food truck in TCU, she would drive up uh, and help me with recipe development then. And uh, we we work really great together. And I think the most important thing is is trust and and also communication. We uh, I would say we're both very good communicators, and that's why it works out really well. Yeah, and then you know the other thing I kind of want to ask you about is you've been you know you've been traveling quite a bit. I guess this is you know you you uh, you're, you're sort of enjoying your free time before the new the new <laughs> yes. location opens and you get your your wings clipped. So you know, I know you've been to New York. I know you've been to Vegas recently. Like, what are you, what are you seeing out there? Like what, what's exciting to you either in terms of a, you know, like maybe a style of cuisine or a, a trend you notice, like what, what, what's, what's out there in the big world that we have that hasn't made its way to Houston yet. Well, I can tell you one of the interesting things about going, I think New York is the last place I traveled to. Um, it's encouraging to see the Mediterranean thing kind of supplant its foot in, in a place like the East coast. And to your point, trends start on the East and West coast and make their way inwards here. So it's very encouraging to me to see the Mediterranean thing. Like, and I obviously have, I've bet on this and banked on it happening, but it's, it's definitely here to stay and it's not going away. Um, I think one of the obvious things uh, in my travel for the over the last six months or so is is Asian food is here to is here to stay and here to grow and different types of Asian food that might not have had their their moment in the sun like Filipino food and uh, and uh, you know Taiwanese food it's, it's just it's super obvious that that's going to keep growing um what else? Uh, luckily for me, I, hopefully this is a venture for us in the future. But when I went to go visit my uh, my grandmother in Lima, Peru, uh, and also went up to New York, I mean, Peruvian food is is definitely going to uh, become mainstream in the next few years. It's just it's with it's so vibrant and it, it hits on all the notes that that makes everyone happy. It has the acid, the heat. Um, and also just very familiar for a lot of people. Um, so, yeah, I think those are my big, my big, uh, my big trends that I, I've definitely seen along with, and you just covered it recently on your, uh, on one of your other programs on the full menu is this food hall thing is definitely exploding all over the country as well. I mean, does that appeal to you at all? I mean, I, I'm sure, I'm sure you've been approached about, about putting craft pita in a food hall. Yeah, we actually, it's funny. We actually, that was our original plan was we were like, Hey, why don't maybe we start small? We'll go in a, in a food hall. Um, and we tried to go in the understory and honestly, you know, I hope everyone there's done well, but because of COVID and, and downtown basically turning to zero population, it's the best thing that ever happened to us not going in there. We would love to do a food hall one day. Um, the economics are kind of tough with the percentages that, the landlords take, um, you just have to be in a very, very densely populated office area, I think, to make it work in the end. But we have we have plans to, to you know, scale down a craft pita to food hall size concept, maybe just serve shawarma or something like that. Um, hopefully, hopefully in the in the future. Definitely. 
you know, as you're planning that, it's not craft pita without the falafel. That, <laughs> yes, that's, that's fair. I agree with that. Shawarma and falafel are mandatory. I agree. And then you know you you sort of floated this, but we didn't we didn't address this specifically, right? You you own a Lebanese restaurant, but your mother is Peruvian, and and so you have you have you know sort of full experience with uh, Peruvian food. You've been to Peru. Maybe say a little bit more about kind of your vision for that, and and you know. I got to do five craft pitas before I do the Peruvian restaurant. Like what's the rough, like what's the ratio or, or what's the timeline? It's, it's somewhere around there. I think, you know, we definitely have to open maybe another unit or two before we, we look at maybe opening a Peruvian restaurant. Um, and a lot of it is about timing. I mean, we, we opened a, a Mediterranean food truck 10 years ago and I can tell you that, that people didn't know what, what shawarma was back then. And that's part of the reason, you know, great thing about Houston is people are exposed to a lot of different cuisines. So hopefully in the next few years, you know, we can, we can open up, a our next, uh, idea and, but we're patient. We gotta, we gotta treat craft beta like a baby and walk it, uh, and get it to running. And our idea would be to, uh, to, you know, show Houston what, a a real Peruvian dining experience is like, and there's definitely a few uh, OG places here around town. Um, but I can tell you that Claudia would tell you she makes the best Peruvian food in town. So she'll, she'll, <laughs> she'll be ready. She'll be ready when the time comes. All right. And then one more thing, cause I, you know, I asked you about your travels, but, but where, where have you been eating locally? I mean, you know, we had dinner together at, uh, Cafe Louis a few weeks ago. I mean, what, where have you been recently that's kind of caught your attention? What are you excited about? Ooh, let me think. Um, I thought our dinner at Cafe Louis was outstanding. I mean, that Angelo's pasta is, is definitely some of the best in town right now. It was just stunning. Um, where have I been eating? Uh, on the same part of town, I had an amazing Actually, right after uh, Justin Verlander made his comment about uh, Nancy Sussel Burger, I went the next day and I think they were dropping about 70 burgers that night. But I contributed to the weeding them out and had one and it was fantastic. Um, I've been trying to make my way over to Bel Air a lot. I live, I live on the west side of town, so try to try to hit up different places in Asia town. Um, what else? I've been doing all of these uh, Totemo taco takeovers. I think I've hit all the gambit. I think I'm going to try to go to the one that's happening this week as well with Basso. And, uh, you know, I think what Emmanuel is doing is, is just so special uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to just a basic, simple tortilla. It's it's flawless execution. And I was just recently in Mexico and it, I mean, it's sat it's it's comparable. And I, I hope he would say the same, right? Um, yeah, no, I, that's about I, all I got. no, 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 that that's all fine. No, I, I, I think that's all. Yeah. I, I think what Emmanuel's doing is, is really exciting. And, and, you know, these, uh, these collaboration dinners that these, you know, taco takeovers that he's been, he's been doing, you know, are, are really like a fun way for people to engage with, with his food, you know, cause the brunch menu is so limited. It's only two hours, one day a week. And the, yeah. the tasting menu is really nice, but 
I, I know not everybody wants to commit to, you know, a hundred plus dollars a person. And again, it's only, it's only two nights a week. So, you know, if you can make it out there on a Tuesday, yeah, you're going to stand in line for a little bit probably, but, but especially worth when the he's, way. yeah, worth the wait. And when he's collaborating with, you know, you know, whether it's Alex Bremont or, or now the guys from, from Basso who've worked at some really outstanding restaurants on the West coast. I mean, it's uh it's a it's a really interesting format to kind of get these uh, some pretty high end food at, at a more reasonable price point. Another uh, taco I had recently was the the I had uh, finally finally had El Topo for the first time at the Urban Harvest Market, and that was fantastic as well. That Houston tacos killer, and uh, we actually are going to be joining uh, serving at the Urban Harvest Market as well coming up soon. Oh yeah, what are you doing? We're going to be serving some hummus and and some uh, uh, all of our spreads, obviously, some of our sauces. We're also going to be serving some take and bake items like a, a kofta potato take and bake. And, and just kind of it's a perfectly situated in between our two stores and right down the street from our new one. So it'll be fun and exciting. So more of a retail presence than like a like yeah. their present. Yeah, that's right. OK, well, good for you. No, I I you know, we don't talk about urban harvest very much on the show, but it, it, it has become a really interesting incubator for restaurants to kind of expand their reach or build a following, you know, certainly, certainly El Topo, certainly street to kitchen, certainly dumpling house and a whole bunch of others have all kind of, you know, gotten a little nudge from, from that market. And when the weather's nice, you know, we're, we're getting into, we're getting into nice market season. So uh, yeah, we're, we're signed up at the perfect time. I think. <laughs> well, uh, Rafi, that brings me to the end of my questions. Is there anything else you would like to discuss? No, um, we'll definitely follow us on, uh, on social media to stay up to date on the opening of the new store at craft PETA or visit us at craftpita.com. Um, just want to say uh, thank you for uh, everything you do, Eric. Really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we can uh, grab another meal sometime soon. Well, that's very kind of you to say, and I'm, I'm sure we will. I wasn't going to play the lightning round because you've done it before and I was too lazy to come up with new questions. <laughs> but but I know you want to do over on favorite Houston sports figure because you mentioned someone who's no longer a Houston athlete. <laughs> so who is your new favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? I'm going to stick to my my all-time favorite Texan, and it's J.J. Watt. I just need a do-over on my last one, picking Watson. I just uh, – we just need a do-over. That's all. Fair enough. All right. Uh, Rafi, thanks again for doing this. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, Eric. Have a great day. You can follow me on Instagram, at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.